Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see everybody here, alhamdulillah. How is everybody? Alhamdulillah. All things considered. Um, I wanted to, first of all, welcome everybody. Inshallah, for those of you who have been here before, obviously welcome back. For those who haven't, uh, this is your first time, welcome to Roots. Um, we are, inshallah, we, we do a weekly session for the adults in the community called Heartwork, in which we um, try to work on our hearts, <laughs> hence the name. And we do it through a, a, a different, a variety of different means and ways. Uh, the first, obviously, is that we do it through welcoming everybody, having good company, uh, making sure that people have something to drink and a place to be and a place to belong, faces to meet, inshallah, and friends to make. Uh, and then we also, really try to emphasize um, moments that are meaningful. So we want everything that we do here to have some kind of meaning to it. And then lastly, we pray that Allah Ta'ala accepts and that people who come here, the community that comes and gathers, that when they leave, uh, that they have a desire to come back and to benefit more and more. And so that's what Roots is all about. That's what hard work is all about. And um, one of the things that is, you know, the, the beauty and also the challenge of community is that during the good times, uh, we get to come together and celebrate and we get to have, you know, um, a lot of fun, a lot of smiles and laughter. But one of the challenges, and also I think one of the, most, the beautiful parts as well, but it's challenging, is that during times of difficulty, uh, we get the opportunity to come together, to spend time together and to uh, really lean on each other and grieve, and also build strength through each other, inshallah. Um, I've been translating a book now for a couple years. The translation's done, that part was the easy part. But the commentary that I've been writing for this book has taken me quite a while, because it's a subject that's really, really challenging, and it's interesting, and this is the subject of why do bad things happen? And this is something that every religious tradition from, you know, you name it, has tried to address and has tried to, you know, has tried to figure out the question of theodicy or how, what's the, what's the religious spiritual answer for why evil exists and why bad things happen. Now, this can obviously happen on a variety of levels, you know, whether it's you've been wronged personally, you've had some aggression or transgression against yourself and you struggle to sort of understand why that thing has happened or why those things continue to happen or why they will happen or whether it's on a macro scale when you see things happening throughout the world, whether it's historically or whether it's 
currently, for example, we see in Gaza, in Palestine, also in Sudan, in the Congo, and all over the world when there is oppression, how do we as Muslims, or as people who want to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how do we understand these moments? And how do we grapple with all of these challenges knowing that we believe in Allah and that we believe in an Allah who is Ar-Rahman, the most merciful, and he's also uh, the one who is most capable. He's also the one who is most powerful. He's also the one who is the most knowledgeable, the most wise. So how do we understand all of these things together? So this book has been a really interesting experience for me because it's allowed me the ability to research and dive into these questions. And after hard work every Monday, when people come and ask questions, I would say that nine out of 10 are questions that could be answered by this book. And I've taught this book now a few times and inshallah, the, 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 I'm putting the finishing touches. I'm actually teaching from my notes. So I'm putting the finishing touches on the, the, the book itself, but I wanted to take this opportunity to be able to go over my notes with everybody and not in like a weird nerdy way, but I basically want to like read the book to you guys, the book that I wrote, not the one that he wrote. His book that he wrote is like three pages long. It's more of a booklet, but I wanted to add stories and anecdotes and substance to it so that every person, really, not just Muslim, but every person who wants to can have a resource, something that they can buy and that they can keep to themselves that answers the question, why do bad things happen? And particularly, why do bad things happen to good people or to people who don't deserve it? So this ser series of hard work is going to be called Finding Meaning in Trial. And that's really what Al-Iz Ibn Abdus Salam, Rahimahullah, who is a great scholar who wrote this book, this small booklet, he decided, and by the way, he was a phenomenal scholar. He was somebody, he was born about 800 years ago. So he was born in the 12th century AD. And he was somebody that had a mastery of all the Islamic sciences. I mean, if you think about it, he could have written, and he did, he wrote many books, but he could have focused and really just dove into all these different topics, which he did. But then there's an interesting sort of tangent that he took. And that was that he wanted to write a book that dealt with how people understood challenges in life. Part of it was because he grew up extremely poor. He grew up impoverished and that, that impoverished upbringing of challenges left and right for him led him to think about these questions. Uh, another challenge that he Rahimahullah went through was that in his age of scholarship as a person who was a noble person, a person of truth and knowledge, he was also a fighter for justice. And he did a couple interesting things that are very, very eerily, they resonate with the time that we're in right now. He engaged in a resistance against an occupying force himself as a scholar. He stood up to uh, corrupt leadership one of the leaders of the time, a Muslim leader, was engaged in selling weapons to the Crusaders. And this was during the time of this man's life, Al-Izm Abdul Salam. And so he wrote a fatwa. I want you to understand something. He wrote a fatwa saying that this action of giving weapon and, and, and shields and all types of stuff to the Crusaders who are going to go conquer what city eventually? 
Jerusalem. Okay, are we all together here? The crusader is going to conquer. He said, this action is tantamount to disbelief. That if a Muslim does this, he's, it was very harsh. He said, this is tantamount to, you know that these people are going to go. You know that they are going to go and try to uh, ransack the, you know, the third holiest city in the Islamic tradition. This is wrong. This is incorrect. And he wrote this fatwa. And he was, he was punished by the rulership. He was punished by the leaders for this fatwa. So he was somebody that not only did he like theorize, okay, and like try to speculate about why bad things happen. He lived bad things, and this was part of his experience and part of his life. So whether or not you have questions about your own personal moments and challenges or whether or not you, like me and everybody else here, goes to bed at night wondering and waking up wondering about why this oppression and how this oppression and how long this oppression will keep going in the world today, I thought that this book, and especially the story of this author and this scholar, rahimahullah, would be an interesting place to start. Um, before we begin the actual book itself, I wanted to kind of lay some groundwork about what Islam says about trials and tests. Um, we've referenced it throughout hard work, you know, here and there, but never like in one concise way where we've gone over some of the verses and ahadith that discuss these things. So the first of the ayat that you see on the screen, these ayat are verses that begin Surah Al-Ankabut, which is the chapter known as the spider. Allah Ta'ala begins by saying, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif Lam Mim. Ahasib al-Nasu an yutraku an yakulu amanna wa hum la yuftanun. So we've mentioned this verse before, but again, in this light, I want to think about it from this realm. This is effectively Allah making a promise. This is Allah stating a fact. You know, just like somebody might say the sky is blue, water is wet, fire is hot. It's a scientific, provable, observable, repeatable fact. This is also the case with this verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that people will not be left to say a claim of something and simply because of that claim will never be tested in their life. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, life's not fair? That's basically the tafsir of this verse. Because really, when we think about it, part of what we hope to achieve when we say or do the right thing is that we're never going to be put in difficult situations. That's what we hope, right? <laughs> My wife got pulled over today, okay? It's okay, she's fine, relax, everyone's... She got pulled over today, okay? And she, you know... To the cop, she said all the right things, and she did all the right things, and it was actually so painful because she got pulled over on our street. Yeah, one of those. I added my, to the list of du'as against tonight, I added somebody, right? No, I'm just joking. So she, she got pulled over. So she's driving the kids home from school. She took them to Target because she had to get some stuff, and then she's coming home, long day, kids are tired, you know, whatever. And she, like literally, there's a stop sign right in front of our neighborhood, and she went past it, didn't stop completely, and then came by. Of course, there's nobody there. The cop is waiting there. This is the same cop, by the way, that pulled me over right after my knee surgery for the same issue, for, not, for rolling through a stop sign. And I was like, I can't move my foot. And he's like, you should have called an Uber. And I was like, you are out of control. You are out of pocket, sir. So long story short, she like does everything right. She's a woman, so she cries in front of the cop. 
tries to get away with that, right? Doesn't cry, but you know she shows some emotion. Like, I have my kids in the backseat. Like, please, you know, my house is right there. He is stone cold. This man is like police GPT, like no emotion. She says everything right. She does everything right. Long story, she forgot her purse or her, her license in her other purse. I don't know. I guess that's a thing. Is that a thing, ladies? Okay. So she was next to the house. So she like calls me. She's like, can you please bring my license? It's in the purse that's hanging. The one that I have doesn't have it. I go, okay. So I bring it. So then I pull over to the cop and I'm like, here's the purse. I give it to her and I'm like, because I'm like, I'm not going to, I don't want the cop to think I'm doing any, I'm not going to reach inside of this. Here you go. Right. I'm wearing this. And he just, he just looks at me like stone. And I'm asking more of him, like, did you like, did you tell him that like you were just in front of the house, like this and that, whatever, try to get out of it. And she's like, yeah, man, like I did all the right things. Like I'm a mother with two kids, long day at work, told him the whole story. It's been, it's cold. It's freezing outside. You know, you think there's some empathy there, right? But subhanAllah, man, even if you say all the right things and do all the right things in those situations, like sometimes it's just not enough. And that's the reality. Sometimes, you know, and she did break the law technically, right? I know there's some of you back there that are like, she did. <laughs> but the reality of life is that sometimes, even with the most negligible of mistakes, and sometimes even if there's no mistake, there will be a difficult moment, a hill that you have to climb. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pronouncing here. But why does Allah do that? Allah says, وَلَقَدْ فَتَّنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاذِبِينَ Part of the purpose, these tests are not pointless. These tests have a purpose. And I think this is the biggest, this is the biggest thing that we want to take away, especially tonight, is that difficult moments in life are not useless. Difficult moments, trials, tribulations, dare I say, tragedies, calamities, all of the above, they're not useless. Part of the frustration with them is that we feel like they are. This is a waste of time. I have to spend so much time and energy and effort. I have to do this, this, this. But the reality is, subhanAllah, every one of these tests and trials, according to Allah, there is a purpose. The greatest purpose and the, most, the, 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 the best purpose that we can understand and determine is that this test gives us an ability to prove ourselves, who we are. We get to actually show in that moment that we actually do believe in Allah and that we actually do have iman. And what are you seeing now in the videos that are coming out of Gaza and Palestine is that you're seeing people that their faith is so strong that despite all the rubble around them, they're saying the most beautiful things about Allah. Habibi, do you mind sitting just a second? They're saying the most beautiful things about Allah and those beautiful things are leading people who are not even Muslim to watch this video. Have you guys seen the girl I'm talking about? Who's like doing a tafsir of Quran now on her own? She's a non-Muslim woman who's like, I saw the Palestinians saying, praise God. And I'm like, what are they, how are they praising God amidst all this trial? And she goes, someone told me it's because of their religion. So I went and I bought a Quran. And she goes, now I'm reading the Quran. And she is basically single-handedly reading the Quran. And like every video she's putting out is essentially dawah from a non-Muslim woman and talking about how beautiful the Quran is, how it makes sense. So, some think she's going a little bit far. I'll, and I'll, I'll rein her in a little bit, a comment here or there. Sister, please message me, inshallah. <laughs> I can explain this further, right? But, but nine, you know, nine times out of ten, she's, she's 
And, and all of that is being, is being achieved by somebody displaying their faith in a time of difficulty. Okay, so faith, the first thing that we understand is that faith is something that Allah gives us a chance to prove. And there's nothing better in life than when you pass a test. The test is miserable. Studying for it, preparing for it, is, ang- is, is, is very like anxious, like it's an anxious moment. Submitting a proposal at work, doing a presentation in front of your team at work, all of that is miserable from the time of assignment to the preparation to the execution. It's all bad. But in the moment that you're done and you've succeeded, that feeling is something that you could not replicate unless you went through the process. And that's what Allah Ta'ala is saying here. And then Allah Ta'ala asks, Am Do the people who do evil deeds, do those people, do they think, Do they think that they will somehow be able to escape the judgment that we have of them? The people who fail these tests, those people who are given access power, resource, luxury, whatever, you name it, and they're unable to act appropriately, do they think that Allah Ta'ala is going to hold, uh, not give them what they deserve? And then Allah Ta'ala, He says, مَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ Whoever in their heart hopes to meet Allah, desires to meet Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, then let them know that their meeting with Allah is in fact set, and Allah Ta'ala, وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ and he is the one that is all hearing and all knowing. The next set of ayat, and this is even more profound because it's talking about martyrdom. This is the verse that you've probably seen being mentioned a lot when it comes to all of the people that have lost their lives. Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ يُقْتَلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتٌ بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ وَلَكِنْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ That don't say about these people who have died that they are dead. I just read a story today, subhanAllah, about a mother who lost her son. And that night she had a dream where she saw her son running in Jannah. And she asked her son in the dream, did it hurt when you died? And he said, no, I'm alive. Allah Ta'ala described them as being alive. Even though we are not aware of the life that they are living. And then Allah Ta'ala continues, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْسِ مِنَ أَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنْفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Allah Ta'ala says for sure وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ Like it is no doubt that in life you will be tested with what? And he goes through a list بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ You will have moments of fear And Allah acknowledging your fear is, is it, This is not in any way, shape, or form, should we dismiss people being afraid? You're hearing stories of people being attacked. May Allah Ta'ala give Jannah to those who have lost their lives. The auntie who was sitting in the park by herself. The little boy who was killed by his own landlord, subhanAllah. All these things that are happening, they strike fear within the hearts of people. Everybody feels afraid. Allah Ta'ala says this, that there will be moments in life where people will do the wrong thing and it will make you afraid. So don't feel bad if you feel afraid. Don't feel weak. A lot of people are like, oh, have strong iman. Don't be afraid. No, it's okay to feel fear. Because Allah Ta'ala said you will. Well, jewelry and hunger. That sometimes the test that a person will get is not fear, but it's hunger. Or 
you will lose your property. You will lose life. This can either mean actually your life or it can mean like quality of life. You will lose aspects of your life and your crops. But then Allah says, After all of that loss, Allah says, Good news. Good news. To who? To those who are patient. And then He describes them. That statement, when do you normally hear that statement being made? Somebody dies, right? That's like the common use of that phrase. We say, This ayah is not talking only about when someone passes away. This ayah is saying that this statement is actually like a mission statement for a believer. That they always carry this statement with them. Whenever anything bad happens, it's fresh on their tongue. Why? Why do we say, when we're tested and when, when, we, when we experience death and loss, why do we say the same thing? Why is the statement the same? You tell me. You lose something, something doesn't go the way you want, doesn't go the way you planned, versus at a janazah, and we're saying the same statement. Why? What wisdom is there in that? Yeah. Very good. Number one is that you realize, like, why would I feel so upset about something when I know that this is my ultimate return? I, you know, if this is challenging me, I get it, and I'm human. But I have to remind myself that this is not my home. And when I come to terms with the fact that this is not my home, despite everything around me trying to convince me that this is my home. You know, part of the reason we feel so sad all the time in moments of disappointment is because we think that we're meant to be here. That's part of it, right? You, d you didn't get the job you wanted and you like, it's upsetting. You didn't get the house that you put an offer on. It's upsetting. The rishta didn't go so well, right? It was like, you know, it, wasn't a, it, it didn't go the way you imagined. The proposal, right? For those of you who are not Desi, right? The proposal. Or for those of you who tried to marry Desi and got rejected, right? <laughs> the Rishta did not go so well. All of these moments of disappointment, the initial sting, the pinch of it is what? It's, 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 it's seated, it's couched in the idea that this is my eternity, this is my life, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. But then when the person feels that, they're instructed to say what? They say, they remind themselves that I'm going to die. And in that reminder, again, not a reminder that's like sadistic. You know, you don't go, I don't want people to wear shirts like, I'm going to die. Roots, right? Like the next Roots merch, like. Allah doesn't tell you to say this all the time. He tells you to say it what? When you're struggling to process something. When you're struggling to understand something. How many of you saw videos and pictures of what's happening right now to our brothers and sisters and the only thought that brings you comfort is the afterlife? Raise your hand. That's exactly what Allah is saying. That's by design. The only thing that will bring you comfort in a moment of terrible discomfort is remembering the akhirah. That's it. Everything else doesn't matter. For people who lost loved ones, they remember, they think akhirah and they think what? I'm going to see them again. You know, I can't wait. I told you guys one time the story about the brother I met who lost his son. His son passed away. I can't imagine, subhanAllah, like losing your son. What pain might be greater? I think I heard sometimes, subhanAllah, I heard a, a phrase that they have a word for a child that loses their parent, but they don't have a word for a parent that loses their child, right? 
And so the reality is that that pain is something that I can't even imagine. Praying, leading the janazah of the, the kid that you thought was going to outlive you, that you would give your own life for. And I remember having lunch with this brother, and we were talking, and he brought it up. And he wasn't, he wasn't emotional. I mean, obviously, it would, it would have been fine if he was, but he wasn't. He was, you know, he was talking, and he was reflective, and he was pensive, and he was thinking, and he said, you know, he goes, I want you to know... <laughs> He like looked at me, he goes, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to do anything crazy, I'm not going to kill myself. He goes, but I can't wait until I pass away. And I, I looked at him and I said, and he goes, I just want to see him again. Like that's the only thing, you know, every day, every night, goes to bed, wakes up. Inshallah, when Allah takes my life, when my soul leaves my body, not that I want to die, but when my time on this earth is finished, I'm going to look forward to seeing my son again. Right? That's how the believers operate. We, again, we don't stop in the dunya. We have a different plane. We're thinking about it. That doesn't mean that we stop. That doesn't mean that we stop trying. Right? This brother, mashallah, is still running his businesses, still building his, you know, doing this and that, family, community, all that. But he's just saying that when the time comes, I can't wait to hug him again. Right? So Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ Allah Ta'ala has praised these people. These are the ones who Allah Ta'ala has praised and blessed. وَرَحْمَةٌ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُهْتَدُونَ These are the ones who get it. They are rightly guided. The ones who are able to process these moments and these challenges of difficulty with that grain of remembrance. Okay? Now, to begin the book itself, I'm going to read a little bit from my iPad, inshallah. In the future uh, 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 sessions, I'll put up some slides on the screen with the text, inshallah. But I wanted to give a little bit more about tribulations before we continue. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet ﷺ described Allah. And he said that when Allah loves a person, he gives them tribulations. He gives them tribulations. Because why? Because the tribulation allows that person to be able to prove their love to Allah. It gives them the chance to pass the test. Saeed Nursi, who's a great scholar, said that Allah sometimes will make your world, your dunya, uncomfortable. He will make your dunya uncomfortable. He'll give you some sicknesses, some trials, financial, personal, whatever it might be. And in that discomfort, what do you say? You tell yourself, you know what? This place ain't all it. It's, it's, it's not all that. Like, I can't wait to like be in Jannah. Because if this life was truly as luxurious and as magnificent as we thought, then Jannah would kind of be like not that great of a motivator. But Sa'id Nursi, he said, no, sometimes in life you get those tickets for rolling that stop sign, Mehreen, right? <laughs> you get those, those bad days so that at the end of that bad day, you can say to yourself that, you know what? As, as, as much as I'm here, Jannah is my ultimate reward, is my ultimate goal. Okay, the Prophet ﷺ, he said in a hadith that many of you have probably heard, and this kind of goes to that, that point that I just made. Ajaban li amril mu'min, in amruhu kullahu khayrun, that he says, the believer has a very unique life. Everything for the believer is good. It's not that way for anyone except for a believer. It's like your belief in Allah gives you a special superpower. 
What is that superpower? He says that everything in your life has goodness in it. In asabethu sarra'u shakara. Whenever good things happen to him or her, they're grateful to Allah. Fakana khayran lahu. And the person is grateful because of that. And when bad things happen, they're able to exhibit patience. Now this book that we're going to read, inshallah, this book is 17 examples, 17 silver linings, 17 perspectives on the good things that only come to you when bad things happen. And you'll see what I mean when we talk about it. And for those of you who have I've read this before with you, it's going to be kind of a little bit of a review. But inshallah, I have a lot of notes that I haven't taught. So you'll get some new stuff too, inshallah. So the scholar decided to put together 17 things that Allah, 17 gifts that Allah can give you. And they only come as a result of tribulation and trial. Meaning what? If I wanted these things and I want my life to be easy, then I'm never going to get those things. I have to be ready and willing to accept these moments in order to have these benefits, okay? So the book begins that this scholar wrote this text and he wrote it as a benefit to the believers to be able to go through life and to be able to process these moments. And he says something very interesting. He says, misfortunes, trials and afflictions and loss they differ according to the degree of person that you are. They differ. What he means by this is that in life, everybody has difficulties. Nobody has a life that is perfect. Okay? You look, it's easy for a person to look at somebody else and say, oh, their life is so easy. That's not the case. And in order for us to benefit, I need us all to agree on one principle, and that is that everyone has their challenges. And you don't see everyone's challenge, and that's okay. But everyone has their tribulation, their calamities. They could be, in your eyes, not that big of a deal. But to them, they could be disastrous. And that is something to acknowledge. Otherwise, the, 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 greatest, the greatest inhibitor of success in this department is when you think that everyone else has it easy and your life is so tough. We have to push that out from our minds and say, you know what? This is something that Allah has put in everyone's path. So he says... But there is one difference. The difference is not that some people are tested and some are not. The difference is that depending on what kind of person you are, your tests will match the degree of who you are. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, the most difficult tests in life were given to the prophets. And he said, and after that, it would be given to those who are like them and those who are like them, meaning those who are like them in status. The Prophet ﷺ his life was filled with tests. His life began with tests. His life included, ended in tests. Non-stop difficulties. So his life is a manual and a biography on how to handle these moments. And throughout this book, inshallah, we're going to tell a lot of stories from his life to help us understand and process these. So he says that the first benefit that we all get through trial and tribulation, this is the first one that we get, is he says, Ma'rifatullah, understanding Allah, knowing Allah, wa rububiyyah, and Allah's lordship over everybody, everything. The word ma'rifah in Arabic actually means something better than just to know something. Okay, all of for example, that fire is hot, right? Okay, but what do we know as a result of that, that fire is hot? We know what? 
that it burns and not to what? Not to touch it. So if you see a stove that is on, if you see something that is steaming, you're going to be careful when you're around that thing. Ma'rifah is different than knowledge. Ma'rifah is the realization that comes after knowledge. So a lot of us know, for example, right, that Allah is our Lord. This is like Sunday school stuff, right? We're like chanting it. Maybe they're right about the camps. Anyways, okay. So, you know, Sunday schools are like, Allah is our Lord. You're chanting these things or, and you're learning these things. Even my kids come home, you know, Iman in the bathroom, on the toilet, doing the adhan. You know, like <laughs> the most sacrilegious, blasphemous thing in the world. She goes to Islamic school, right? Sitting, I hear this beautiful echo, Allah Akbar. I'm like, we don't have tile. What's going on? Right? So this stuff is integrated into the, into the, the psyche and the heart of a Muslim early in their journey, whether they're children or whether they accept Islam later. It's early that Allah is our Lord. Even you have like nasheeds and these like songs and poems that kids memorize that integrate these thoughts. But subhanAllah, those lines, those pieces of information, those thoughts, they have not reached maturity yet. They have not blossomed into something full. You can't taste the fruit of that knowledge until, according to Abdul Salam, until Allah puts difficulty in your life. Like you know it in theory, you could explain it, but you cannot actually practically implement that knowledge of Allah's lordship up and until you are a person that goes through a moment of difficulty okay a great example everything in life that you and I go through we try to problem solve for it we try to go through it and navigate it up until we run into a dead end okay so if you have to figure something out then you think okay you know what I'm a good problem solver I can figure this out I got my stuff put together and then one by one the doors start to close and what then are you left with? You're left in a, in a room or in a chamber, right, figuratively speaking, of all these opportunities you thought you had, but all the doors are closed and locked in your face. And now you have nowhere to look except for what? Up. And then you look and you say, Al-Izbun Salam says, that recognition and realization of Allah's lordship would never happen if the doors stayed open and if you were able to walk right through. It just wouldn't. Think about it. In fact, when you problem solve and you are able to actually solve for your own problem and you're able to move forward, what do you feel? You're like, man, I sure am smart, right? That degree paid off or that degree was not necessary, right? You think about it either way. All the accolades, all the, all the, 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 the praise, everything is given to you. The only time that a person, and this is interesting, the only time that a person even remembers Allah is when difficulty is entered into their life. This is for most people. Now, there are some people that remember Allah even before difficulty is entered into their life, even before they have those moments of trial. The first one that they ask is Allah. The first one that they think of is Allah. But the scholars say that that person has been through a lot of trial in their life to train them to get to that point. So you're going through your life, you got your situation, right? You make dua, Allah Ta'ala gives it to you. And you realize, okay, next time, I'm going to make dua first. Then another problem hits you a couple years later, and you do the same thing. You go through all the exercises, nothing works, you make dua. Oh man, why did I take so long to make dua? 
This happens over and over and over again until it happens enough times to where that new problem hits you and you say, you know what? Before I try myself, I'm going to try Allah. And I'm going to seek out his help before I try to seek out my own sustenance, my own reliance, my own ability. Think about it. This is, and, and, and this is, Al-Izz, he says, this is one of the gifts that Allah gives you. Because in all reality, how good does a person feel when they're able to remember Allah immediately when times go bad? How good are they able to feel? A friend of mine was driving one time in a car with one of his friends who had fallen asleep. And they were driving late at night. And someone cut in front of him and he had to hit the brakes really hard and the friend woke up. And as he hit the brakes hard, the driver of the car said a word that's not appropriate. Not a good one, right? And the person who was sleeping woke up and said, La ilaha illallah. And they looked at each other and they were like, we are on two different positions in life. The one who was sleeping woke up and remembered Allah's name. And the one who was awake, who had every reason to like make the decision, obviously it was a quick decision, but to think about what to say or to be more prepared, right, consciously, said the thing that ultimately, right, in that moment was visceral, was in their heart. Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam says that gift, that reactionary spiritual attachment to Allah is not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's not gifted to some people and withheld from others. No, it is something that is worked on. And typically, a person that gets that gift is someone who had to go through some tough times in their life. So we as Muslims, when we understand and what is waiting for us at the result of that trial and difficulty, then we actually understand that, you know what? If this trial is going to give me a closer relationship to Allah, is going to give me the ability to think of him more instantaneously, is going to give me the ability to pray to him more sincerely, all of those things, then when the trial hits, I, begin, I, I, I become happy. One of the scholars, he wrote a story about an old lady. And he said the old lady, she fell down. And as she fell down, she hit the ground pretty hard. And as anybody would you know, be concerned with an elderly woman falling down and you know, possibly breaking something, she started laughing. So the people in the town, they were like looking at her and they're like, is this woman crazy? So they went up to her and they were kind of like, do you need help or are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. And she was laughing. And they said, why are you laughing? And she said, when I fell down, I got hurt really bad. And they were like, okay. And she said, and then I remembered the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he said that a believer is not afflicted with even the prick of a thorn, except that Allah uses that pain to remove sins from their record. And she goes, and I thought to myself, how much more painful was the fall that I took than the prick of a thorn? And so she goes, the thought of losing all of these sins, that an, she, and she called herself an old woman, she said, the thought of losing these sins that an old woman has made me so excited that I began to laugh, even as I sat here with a bruised leg after falling on the ground. She understood what was there and what was waiting for her in the next life. Some scholars, what they talked about, and this is, what, this is kind of what they mentioned. Bishop bin Harith, who is a great scholar of spirituality, he says, whoever is 
held back from reaching this state of realization, they will never taste sweetness in their relationship with Allah. Whoever cannot enjoy the trial, whoever cannot embrace the trial as a way to get closer to Allah, they will never taste sweetness of Allah. He said, whoever does not understand the reward that's waiting for them, every trial will feel like the most heavy burden they've ever carried in their life. The way to think about it is to imagine that this is something that's going to give me reward. And then he says, whoever is given luxury in dunya and Allah never holds back dunya from them. Anyone here ever had a job that paid you very little? Hopefully no one at Roots raises their hand. Okay, any, anyone ever wonder how they're going to make it sometimes? I'll never forget, man. My first job paid me $28,000 a year. Okay? I know you think that's a lot. It's not a lot. It's a lot of Pokemon cards, but that's about it. You can't eat Pokemon cards. So I remember I made $28,000 a year, right? It was me, my wife, and one Toyota Camry. That was our family. And subhanAllah, you know, we talk about those days. My wife and I talk about those days, and we say, man, that was some of the most barakah-filled, sweet time of our lives. We had Noodle Wave so often. More, there was no savings in that account ever. I mean, noodle, it was like our balance was like $67. We're like, all right, so two almond sriracha chickens, like that's good, right? That's just who we were. But subhanAllah, those moments, and, and, and in Islam, we call those moments zuhd, right? The moments where Allah pushes you to where your heart is not attached and not so in, in, infatuated and intoxicated by the dunya, he says what? He says, whoever Allah Ta'ala gives them zuhud in this dunya, then they will be able to, oh, subhanAllah, the line is so beautiful. It's so hard to translate. He says, Allah will give you secret provisions. He will give you provisions that no one else can see. No one else understands. And, and, and wallahi, for those of you that have ever had those moments, right? Everyone has like, yeah, I had a moment in my life or my childhood or my this or right now, right? It could be right now where like money is tight. But subhanAllah, there's something so delicious about some bread and some cheese and some cucumbers. And, and that's it. A simple dinner, right? Dal chow. How many of you guys like some dal chow in your life? Some rice and lentils. Some kitchery. How many of you guys like some kitchery, right? There's no, nothing bougie, although I'm sure someone in New York is opening up a dal chow like bougie 16. I saw, for those of you who are Egyptian, I saw a kushari restaurant in New York City. They were selling kushari for $13 a plate. This is absolutely haram. <laughs> I don't care if it's halal, it is haram. You cannot sell kushari. You know what kushari is? In Egypt, they serve it to you in plastic bags, man. It's literally the cheapest thing you can get. It's rice, lentils, tomato sauce, and fried onions. A bag of it's like 13 cents, and these hipsters with jean shorts in New York are selling it for... Anyways, those, those moments, that's what he's saying. When Allah takes away luxuries from your life, the Bishop Ibn Hadith is saying what? You start to discover his secret provisions. The ones that the people who are like living high, like, living high, like this and that, they're like, subhanAllah, I saw a video today of kids in Gaza. This guy, this journalist, took a video, a selfie, and he asked the kids, he goes, where are we? He says, which mushtashfa, which hospital are we at? And they all said, Al-Quds. And they were laughing. And Al-Quds hospital is the one that the Israeli occupying terrorist force is threatening to bomb. And these kids are laughing. Al-Quds. 
And then he goes, go ahead and play. And they all slide down the ramp. And I'm thinking in my head for the last 23 days, the ummah is bawling its eyes out in sheer exhaustion, spiritual and, and, and emotional fatigue, wondering what do these people have that is allowing these, this guy and these kids to like find a moment. Now, I'm sure they're not all happy and celebrate. I'm sure there's pain and, and devastation. But there's something secret that Allah is giving to those people that we don't have. And that's why the, 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 the notion that is coming over and over again is what? Don't feel bad. They're saying this. If you listen to some of the things that they're saying, don't feel bad for us. Right? Allah has given them some secret provision that we can never have. Because why? Because we're not living the life of challenge that they have right now. Know for a fact. When did Allah Ta'ala send the angels down to help the Muslims? It was when they were outnumbered 300 to over a thousand. And Allah Ta'ala sent down the angels in the battle of Badr to help. Those secret provisions come down only to those people who are desperately in need of it. So don't repel and push away moments of difficulty. Because who knows what secret provision you're pushing away that Allah wants to give you. What moment of happiness, what discovery that Allah wants to give you. But because you're chasing luxury and you're not embracing challenge and zuhud, Allah Ta'ala is holding back the provision from you as well. And then Allah Ta'ala said, and then he finishes by saying the last thing. So these are the four things he mentioned. Whoever has ma'rifah of Allah, their worship becomes sweet. Obedience becomes sweet. They love it. He says, number two, whoever knows the reward they're getting, the burden becomes light. Number three, he says, whoever embraces this moment of poverty, zuhud of asceticism, he says, they start to see all the beauty in whatever provisions they have, secret provisions. And he says, number four, whoever is given contentment with Allah, then they have reached the highest level that they'll ever experience. Whoever is able to say, what is rida? What is contentment with Allah? What is ma'rifah? It is that when everything has gone south, when you have no reason to smile, the words coming out of your lips are still alhamdulillah. That's what the Prophet ﷺ taught us. That was what his, his whole life exemplified for us. What time is it? Okay, we got one more. No, we don't. It's too good. The next one's too good. I can't. Because then we're going to cut it short. We're going to cut it short. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us the ability to know Him. And that through trials and tests, we come closer to Him. And that through difficulties and moments of challenge, we grow nearer to Him and we love Him more. We ask You, O Allah, to purify our hearts, O Allah. We ask You, O Allah, to be gentle with us and to pardon us, Ya Allah. We ask You, O Allah, that whatever challenge and trial You put in our life, Ya Allah, then you give us the ability as a result of that to taste the sweetness of this life and to be able to focus on the akhirah and to be able to taste sweetness and worship of you and to be able to have our burdens lightened, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you by the virtue of the challenges that we are facing, Ya Allah, to make us content, Ya Allah. To give us the ability to be content with you and content with our life, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to allow those people that are experiencing devastation and difficulty, Ya Allah, to lighten their burden, Ya Allah and to give them the strength and the courage, Ya Allah, that they need in order to endure whatever difficulties they have, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you by all of your names and attributes, Ya Allah, to uplift the oppression over our brothers and sisters, Ya Allah, and to give them freedom and to give them health, Ya Allah, and to give them the mercy that they need, Ya Allah, to forgive those who have passed away and accept them as martyrs, Ya Allah. And we ask you, O Allah, that for those that have been injured, those that have lost loved ones, those that have been orphaned, Ya Allah, that you be their company, Ya Allah. 
that you be the one who gives them healing, Ya Allah. That you be their company when they feel lonely, Ya Arhamar Rahimin. So inshallah, um, if anyone has any questions, we can take a few questions now. I know that these classes tend to be, these topics tend to be ones where people ask a lot of questions. So we can take a few inshallah. Uh, we have about eight minutes left before we have to head for Isha. Yeah. Yes. Pakistan. So zuhud, zuhud, Z-U-H-D, in Arabic, Zahadal. Zuhud means literally asceticism. What it means to be ascetic is that you're not attached to worldly things. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what you're eating. Is it lentils? Is it ribeye? doesn't matter to me. Zuhud, right? So he said whoever experiences zuhud, whoever experiences zuhud, they experience secret provisions from Allah. Yes. Uh, the four things he mentioned. Uh, whoever comes to know Allah, worshiping him becomes sweet. Their burden becomes light when they realize the reward they're getting. They receive secret provisions when they are not uh, 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 upset with their limited uh, wealth. And that Allah Ta'ala gives them contentment and that becomes their highest level, their highest achievement. Any other questions? No? Okay. Jazakumullah khairan. See you guys inshallah next Monday. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This, uh, this Saturday, by the way, I think it's Saturday, we have a community qiyam. Uh, it's called Chai Under the Night Sky, where we're going to be having some chai, prayer, and some dua, inshallah. So please join us then. Okay? Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum.